This is the time in our service when we give our attention to the words of Scripture. I've got just one job with you, and that is to take the words of God, the words that the Spirit have given us, just a section of them, and speak to you in such a way that those words would be clear and that the Spirit who is with us and has not only given us these words but can animate them and bring them to life would actually do that in our minds and in our hearts and change would take place in who you are and in all that God would intend for you. So the degree to which I do that well, good job. The degree to which I do that poorly, let's move on from those words. I'll have a bunch of words up on this screen. Acts 16, the first part, is the words that Allison had read to us. All right, so we are working through this biblical book of Acts, which is shorthand for the Acts of the Apostles, which is shorthand for the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles and other members of the early church. We take that whole thing and we just call it the book of Acts. Here's what we keep asking ourselves. What can we learn from these people, these stories, these truths about what it means for us, you and me, us together, to live really well as Jesus' people right here, right now, today? That's the question that we keep asking. Week after week, it's been so helpful to see these, these truths in these stories and be like, is any of that true in my heart? Is any of that true in my home? Is any of that true in my church? Those are the questions that we've been asking together. All right, today we're going to see that there have always been two seemingly distinct, even maybe opposed realities, rhythms, that have been married together in the life of Jesus' church. The care of existing folks and the pursuit of new folks. It is not either or of these things, but it is both and together. Every Christian, every Christian home, every Christian community, every Christian church has married and embraced both of these things. All right, let's take a look. Uh, let me start with an illustration and see if this can set this up for us. Car number one, my car, 2007 Ford Taurus. I put this thing to work. So the way that my life works right now, I have two different jobs, and I have four different children, and this vehicle gets me to all of those places that I need to be. I drive it to work, I drive it to this church building here, sometimes I drive it to drop-offs and pickups at three different schools, our kids range from first grade to freshman in high school, I drive it to the, war, to the Y, if I absolutely have to, I drive it to the mall and I get in and out as quickly as possible, I drive it to your homes to sit with you, I drive it near your homes, uh, I drive it to dives and diners and drive-ins and coffee shops to sit with people who are new to the life of the church. Conferences, seminars. I am on mission in my life, and this vehicle is on mission with me. What I don't do awesome 
is care for this vehicle. I wear this car out. I drive a little bit fast. I accelerate fast. I brake late. I take turns quickly. Me and curbs come into contact often. The tires on this car are like that. All my debris for a month ends up in the front of the passenger seat. If you're ever driving with me, it's quasi-embarrassing, so I'm like, hold on, hold on, and I'm scooping up a bunch of stuff. There are multiple rust spots on this car. I got a solution for that. Stickers. You could just put stickers over them of stuff you like and cover it right up. This is the way that I care for my car. If my car could talk to you right now from behind the church, what would my car say to you? Would somebody please take me to the shop? Just give me a day or two or maybe a week of, of rest and breath. Replace my tires, change my oil. That windshield wiper doesn't work anymore. Can someone, I need to be strengthened if I'm going to be useful in what I was manufactured to be. You feel that? All right, different car. Grace's brother owns a 1960-something Chevy Chevelle. Hot Rod Red. He's got this thing in a garage on Saratoga Street in Eastie, headed toward Winthrop. This car is cared for like you would not believe. There is not a speck of dirt on it, in it, under it, near it, nothing. You could stick a half dollar in the tread of these tires and you would lose the thing in there. That's how new these tires are. You run the engine and it purrs mint. That's the word we used to use in the 80s. Mint condition. Very well cared for and healthy car. If that car could talk to you, what would that car say? It would say, would somebody please let me out of this garage? I was not manufactured to sit indoors. I was made to drive fast and furious. There's a whole world. See what I did there, fast and furious? There's a whole world out there that needs to see who I am, what I've been made for, what I can do. Put me to work. What would be healthy would be both and. Really deep care and really useful work. That's the same thing that has always been true for Christians, their homes, their churches, their communities, always. Gospel love, gospel love moves us in both directions. It moves you to love the people who are already here, and it moves you to love the people who are just getting here, who, who are not here yet. It's both and. Okay, let's hit the words of Scripture and see what this looks like. The text that Allison read happens after this difficult conflict took place. It was two ministry brothers 
Paul and Barnabas. They had done beautiful work together. They were hanging out at the same church together. They were getting ready to go back on a new adventure together. Here's how this conversation went. Barnabas said, hey, Paul, I'm packing up my stuff. I'm almost ready. Let me grab Mark and we'll do this thing. And Paul said, time out. We are not taking Mark with us again. He bailed out on us the last time the going got rough. And I am not exposing myself to that again. And Barnabas said, Paul, you're wrong. He's just young. He's coming along. He's going to get there. We just got to keep him close to us. Let's give him a second chance. And Paul said, I got stoned on this last trip. I am not going back in the field with someone who's going to turn and run away at the first sight of trouble. And Barnabas said, we have to take Mark. You're wrong about this. And Paul said, we're not taking Mark. You're wrong about this. No, 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 you're wrong. No, you are wrong. And the Bible says there was a sharp conflict, and they both went their separate ways. You have to have that in the background if this text is going to make sense. And Jesus, by His Spirit, blessed both of their works, and the gospel advanced twofold. What I want to point out to you is the way that Paul phrased his intentions and his desires on this trip he was going to go on. Here's what he said. This is where our text begins. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Scripture. This is a little bit weird. This is super evangelist Paul. This is the guy who would say, my ambition is to preach Christ where his name has never been heard before. This is the guy that if you Googled his name and you pulled up the white pages with all his old addresses, it would be like 60 different addresses. Have you ever Googled yourself and just see what comes up and there's white pages and it has the address you were born at and then your childhood home and then your college dorm and then your first apartment and now the house that you're in, they're all there. It's kind of spooky. This guy would have 60 different listings. For him, three years with the same people was a very long time. He was always on the go, headed toward not yet believers. But what is he sensing the Spirit is calling him to do right now in this season? To go and spend some time with the brothers. As you get familiar with your Bible, you'll see that word all the time in the New Testament. It's this beautiful word, male, masculine, inclusive, but it's for the men and the women who have become the family of God. God is our Father. Jesus is our elder brother. He has swept us into a new family. We are now brothers and sisters. That's what this word means right there. He's going to go get some time with them to see how they're doing to see how they're getting along, to strengthen them in the faith, to listen long nights with the Bible open, caring for them, answering questions, comforting and encouraging them. That's what he was going to do, and that's what he did. The brothers is that beautiful word. That's who he was going for. And 
15.36 says, So he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Everybody hear it? Caring for the hearts, the minds, the unity, the theology of the people who had already believed the Gospel. How important was soul care? Deep community to the Apostle Paul. Huge. He was committed to the health and the strength, the unity of the existing believers in the church. So that's the genesis of this story. That's where it begins. Now I want to show you where the text ends, and there's a big surprise in here. At the end of our story, it says this. So, the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. That, that's where this ends. The churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. While Paul was giving himself to strengthening the existing believers, there's a bunch of new people coming to faith in Jesus, being engaged in gospel, getting added to the life of the church. Wait a minute. How's this happen? I thought that this trip was about caring for the existing people. What's the answer? It's never just that. It's never, ever, ever just that. Jesus, through the gospel, is always driving us to deeper and to wider. We're never not moving toward others, whether they're close or far away, in gospel love. That is the end of this text. All right, now let's work the middle together and we'll see how in the world we got there. All right. Here's what the first verse that Allison read said. Paul came also to Derby and Lystra or Lystra. Okay, you know how Everett and Malden are really close to each other, and then they're a part of the north shore of Boston. That's what this was like. Derby and Lystra were like very close to each other. They were part of what the Bible calls Galatia, what we would call Turkey, the region of Turkey in the Middle East in the modern day. He's already been there. He's already preached the gospel to people that he hadn't met. He's already gotten beat up, bad, stoned in Lystra. And he has seen the churches born into existence. And now he's coming back to visit them again. All right. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. There was a disciple there. His name was Timothy. His mom was Jewish. His dad was Greek. All right, who do we got for mixed race people in the house? So Chris is like that crazy Irish-Italian combination. You ever seen that come together? Wow. Anger issues, but we're loving him through them. Christine is Italian-Filipino. So these kids are going to be like not only beautiful, but wild awesome. There's no, no, nobody else is, who else? Ralph? All right. Anybody else? So that's my story. It's why the whole race angst conversation has always been interesting for me, because I am half majority kid, half minority kid. My dad's white, 
German. My mom's Hispanic, Puerto Rican. So I've had those two things married in my, in my identity since I was a kid. Whenever that happens, you get a little bit from one side of the family, and you get a little bit from the other side of the family. So I got my white skin and rosacea from the cruise side, the K-R-U-S-E side, grandma especially. I got my love for arroz con pollo from the C-R-U-Z side, the Puerto Rican side, cruise side. These things get married in me, and it, it causes some tension, and sometimes you've got to make a choice, like, is this Hispanic week, or is this white week, or how do I put those together? So this is Timothy's life right here. I need you to feel that if this story is going to make sense. His mom is ethnically Jewish. His dad is ethnically uh, Gentile or Greek, Roman Empire father. In Timothy's case, the specific thing was that because his dad was Greek, he was not circumcised as a baby boy, even though... If his dad would have been Jewish, he absolutely would have been circumcised. So he took the not circumcised part of his ethnic background from his dad. In Scripture, that's a huge deal for Jews. For them, the sign of circumcision in your sons was the sign of the covenant. And so every good ethnic Jew would have circumcised their sons. So we got a mixed race kid. He is not circumcised because he took that part of his identity from his dad. Okay, hold that thought. And then the scripture says this, Timothy was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Okay, I love this. Timothy is probably 18 or 19 years old, but he is solid. His grandmother believed the gospel. His mom believed the gospel. He was believing the gospel as well. Everybody who met this kid was like, hey, this kid Timothy is going to be useful and awesome to Jesus. Strong, handshake, look you in the eye. First one to arrive on Sundays, last one to leave on Sundays. Immediately happy to work hard. No attitude, no drama, thoughtful, responsible. That's who this kid was. Every single teenager or tween in this room should love this verse of Scripture right here and say, that's who I want to be, right there. Jesus, make me like Timothy. Give me such a humble spirit, a hardworking spirit, a helpful spirit. Let me live in such a way that as soon as somebody in the church says my name, Madison, Julia, Matthew, Brandon, Abby, Lauren, Allison, as soon as that name is said, Colin, they go, oh man, Colin's going to be something else. This kid is growing up like Christ. That was Timothy. That's who he was becoming. And don't forget the start of our story. That's who Paul was looking for, right? He left Mark behind. He is short a wingman on this journey. He's got his radar up for somebody to join him. Hey, what about Timothy. Here he is. All right, so the scripture says Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and so he took him and circumcised him. Because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that Timothy's dad was Greek. 
Okay, there's two giant truths in this verse. First of all, does everybody in here feel the missional concern in these words? Do you feel them? Wait, I thought this was just about the brothers. Didn't you say this was a story about the brothers, the existing people? Yes. But who else makes it onto Paul's radar and into this story? Not just the brothers, but the Jews who were in those places. These were not the brothers. These were not Christians. These were not the insiders. These were not people who we were comfortable with and were a part of the family already. And yet, here they are right in the middle of this text. Yes, always insiders and outsiders together. The second thing is, do you feel how serious Paul is about reaching and engaging and loving and gospeling not just the brothers, but the Jews who are in those places? Let's talk about that. The Jews in these cities would have known Timothy's dad was a Greek. That word would have got out right away if Paul and Timothy were spending time with them. They would have known that Timothy was not fully Jewish, and so Paul and his team would never have gotten access into the synagogues or the hearts and the minds of these people. They would not have been given a platform. All right, let me help this make sense to you. Imagine with you that you are standing on Causeway Street outside of the Boston Garden, 1987 Celtics-Lakers, Game 4 of the NBA Finals. Okay, it's wild out there. Wild. Two hours before game time, you're finished grabbing a pizza or a beer or whatever you're doing before the game, and this guy comes up to you and he has on purple sweatpants and, and a yellow James Worthy jersey and a big Lakers hat. Are you listening to a word that this cat has to say? Not a word. Bro, you need to go change your outfit right now if we're going to talk. Everybody feel that? It's the same thing here. If mission is ever going to be a part of this story, if it's ever going to be more than just soul care with the existing people in the church, both Paul and Timothy have to be willing to make some sacrifices in love for others. There's going to be a cost here. What was the cost for Paul that he was willing to pay? It was his reputation. He is the apostle of grace. This is the dude who went toe-to-toe, theological fistfight, with those who wanted to demand that Gentiles be circumcised in order to become Christian. He went all bodyguard bouncer, standing in front of Titus, saying, nobody is touching this man's body. He will not be circumcised. The gospel does not require it. That's the reputation that he has gained for himself. 
Now what? What are people going to think if he allows, encourages, enables Timothy to be circumcised? Paul's going soft. Paul is compromising. Paul is growing hypocritical in his old age. His reputation was at stake with a lot of people who would see this and not know the true story. But he is so all in on the mission of God that he does not care about his reputation. He just wanted to see people meet Jesus. He would pay the price. What's the cost for our man Timothy? I mean, you're tracking with the story, right? How did this conversation go? Hey, Timothy, I want you to accompany me for the next few months. I need a wingman. We're going to strengthen the churches. We're going to preach the gospel in synagogues and streets. It's just one thing. I mean, what in the world has to be going on in Timothy's heart, in his soul, if he's ever going to say yes to this request? Free anesthesia. I mean, there's got to be some serious joy in the gospel. There's got to be some serious love for people who are not yet believers. There's got to be some serious conviction about Jesus' mission. There's got to be a very loose grip on the comforts of this world, right? It's like my, my comforts are not a big deal here. Such a desire to see lost people saved that he would be in even at a cost like this to himself. Timothy, are you willing to be circumcised for the sake of the Jews in those places? That's what the word because here means, not just due to, but for the sake of those people. How does Timothy answer? I mean, I would love to have seen the conversation. Yeah, let's do this. Give me a minute. <laughs> Got to get psyched up. But let's do this. If that's what is required to see the gospel advance through my life, I'm in. In other words, this young man is wicked serious about seeing others meet Jesus. What happens because of this? So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. So here's our big idea recap from these words. The first Christians were really serious about care and mission. Okay, what about us? I mean, this is the life that we're trying to live together, right? So this is why we say that our smaller communities, for example, are gospel-formed families on mission together. Both ends. We are called by Jesus to strengthen each other in the gospel, gospel form, to actually begin to live together like family. That's deep. That's beautiful. That's Bible. And we are sent by Jesus to love us, some Bostonians, together. It's who we are. It's why we're here. It's why we've been manufactured, to give a clear and compelling witness to those who are not here in the fold yet. We want both of those things happening 
together in the life of our church. This is costly. This is messy. It's messy. There is no precise or exact formula for what this actually looks like. There's no like roadmap that says this is how this happens. There will be seasons in the life of a smaller community where the communal realities, the family stuff, the gospel-formed stuff needs to be the first voice. And there's a time that that has to be seriously given to and strength needs to come to the ties that bind us to our gospel formation. Let's do it. There will be times in the life of a gospel community where the missional realities, the work that we're called to, the people that we're meeting just surges forward and we find a lot of our attention in that month given to adding to the number that Jesus intends to be with us. Doing this well takes wisdom. Doing this well takes differently wired people bringing their different wires to the community. Some of you are location-oriented people. You know what that means? That means that you see today with really clear eyes. You, you have that gift. You know the importance of loving existing people very well. That is so beautiful and awesome. Some of you are what we would call future-oriented people. You have these eyes that can see tomorrow really clearly. You know how important it is for us to be loving the people that we haven't met yet really well. That too is awesome and beautiful. It's not one or the other. It's both of those married together in the life of our church. Simultaneously, as led by the Spirit. All right, there's like a hundred application questions. I just want to work one with you, and then you can work through your other applications later on this week. So here's one that I've been asking myself this week. Is there any Timothy at all in me? Is there any Timothy in us? Is there any Timothy in you? Okay, often... I want to give pretend answers. So I make myself sit down with the door closed and a pen out and say, what's the honest answer right now, Matt Cruz? Write it down. What's the honest answer? So here's one potential honest answer. We might say, no. None at all. I have decided what my life is going to be about, and it's not going to be about these people, and it's not going to be about these people coming to know Jesus. There are moments in my life when that is your honest answer. If you took a picture of my life, that would be it. Okay, if that's your answer today, be honest with yourself and think on that with us. Here's another potential honor answer. Eh, you know how the shoulders go? Sort of, kind of, a little bit. Ambivalence. I am committed to the institution of the church. I love the people that Jesus has given me to here and given to me, I want to be a good neighbor, but I'm kind of scared of actually moving toward anybody for real and inviting them into the family of Jesus. 
and I'm not so sure that I want to cross that pain line to get there. You will find that written down in my journal at home as well. Not a lot of Timothy in me. Not a lot of Timothy. Here's another answer, honest answer. Maybe this is yours. I know this sounds crazy, but yeah, the grace of God in Christ is so alive inside of my heart. The beauty of the gospel is so real. This joy that I have in realizing my sins have been forgiven. The reality of the new creation that is coming. The love that Jesus has for the lost. Whatever it takes, I want in. That's another potential answer to this question. Is there any Timothy in you? But sometimes answering yes means radical alterations to your life plan. Sometimes it's going to mean that for us. In a sense, at our conversion, that's what happens, right? Jesus gives you new birth. You are born again. And whatever was on the page of your life plan before is completely up for grabs now that heaven's been invited into your life and you belong to Jesus. At conversion, all of us have a new life plan, whatever Jesus wants from us. Sometimes God visits us when we're young or in the middle of our lives and He says, I have a mission for you and it's going to require some radical life change. Sometimes that happens. For Grace and I, this was 15 years ago. We were newly married and pregnant and church planting was not on our radar. It just wasn't. And the Lord swooped in clearly through the community of the church and by His Spirit said, I actually need you guys to give your life to seeing a church come to exi- into existence where the Bostonians that you love can be discipled. What? Wow. That was wild. That was also one of the most joyous seasons of our life. Everything was up for grabs on what the Lord might call us to sacrifice. When we bought the house that we were in, we were not saying, we want the biggest house, we want the best school system, we want the flattest street. (laughs) We just said, you've called us to give our lives to see something happen for the sake of your glory. The Bostonians who we love, we're from Everett and Revere, would come to know Jesus. You tell us where you need us to live. That was like the tenor of our house search and everything else in our life at the time. If you are at that pivot point in your life, jump all in. There's massive joy in that place for you. Most of the time, it's not that radical. Most of the time, Jesus calls us to the basics of life. Work, career, occupation, marriage, fatherhood, motherhood, giving ourselves to a home and a street and a city and a church for the long haul. That's Jesus' basic life plan for most of us. Many of you have been graced by God with opportunity, intelligence, passions for work, with children, with a home, and you're there. The question that this text raises is, right there in the middle of these beautiful, ordinary lives that you have, right there in the middle of them, are there any Timothy moments? Are there any Timothy realities? Are you ever paying a price for the sake of those who don't know 
about the grace of God yet? Have you crossed the pain line? Have you taken a risk? Have you sacrificed the comfort? Have you changed the schedule? Have you spent some money so that some real person, real family, real neighborhood might see and taste the beauty of the kingdom of Jesus? So there's like 75 of you. Probably most of you, that's the question to ask. In the fray of my beautifully ordinary life, is mission in there? Is gospel love moving me to love others? What does that look like? For some of you, Jesus is about to radically alter the life plan and call you to some big sacrifices. If he's calling you to the big or the little, both of them are the most joyous place in the world. Let's be people who care for the person next to us really well. Let's be people who care about the person we haven't met yet really well. Let's let it be said of our church, the saints were strengthened and they grew in numbers because gospel love moved them toward others. All right, let's think about that as we pray together. Father, we believe this lie that our lives are best when we are controlling everything toward the ends of our comfort. I pray that we would just not be deceived any longer as a church, but that we would realize that the real joy comes when we give and give and give and sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice and love and love and love and get outside ourselves. Father, I pray that you would give wisdom to each of us. Many of us are pretty set in our lives. And you've led us to these places of, of home ownership and of work and of family. And you intend for us to be like Paul and Timothy in those homes, with those jobs, with those children, excited about the mission of God. For some of us, you've got a big, beautiful work for us that's going to require some major sacrifice. And we are afraid of that. I pray that you'd set us free from that fear. I pray that you would encourage those of us who get the care part to let our voices be known, to see to it that our communities and our church care well for those who are here. Father, I pray for those of us who can see the future, who know the desperate need for others to be invited into this grace. That their voice would be known. We would be driven to reach people we have not met yet. I pray that there would be no animosity and no spite and no self-promotion, but that we would, all of us together at the same time, be committed to care, be committed to mission, be committed to gospel love. That's where health and growth will be. Would you move our hearts to get there together? We are up for whatever you might have for us. May my prayer be answering it right now in this moment, this week, this month. Hear my prayer and answer.